Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 71. For years, the big promise about cryptocurrencies has been instant cross-border payments. But for various reasons, such as their volatility and those regulatory concerns, cryptocurrencies haven't really been able to go mainstream as a real-time payment instrument. My name is Dipesh Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global and host of the podcast Trade Finance Talks. Today, we're talking about messaging. Now, I'm sure we've all messaged before. Humans might use WhatsApp or Messenger. Computers might use application programming interfaces or APIs. Dogs bark at each other. Dolphins message each other through sound waves. But what about banks? How do banks message one another? Often banks need to talk to each other, confirming beneficiaries, recipients, payment amounts, and details of goods and services of their clients and transactions. SWIFT is the financial industry's neutral and trusted infrastructure provider, and it's still moving towards the creation of frictionless instant payments in an ever-changing and complex environment. Today, we're talking about the evolution of SWIFT. How has SWIFT changed? What challenges have they faced? And how will they continue reinventing themselves in such a highly competitive global payments market? To help me answer these questions, I'm delighted to be joined by Marcus Hughes, Head of Strategic Business Development at Bottom Line. Marcus, great to have you on Trade Finance Talks. Hi, Dipesh, and thank you for inviting me. I'm always happy to share a, a few thoughts on SWIFT and the important role they continue to play in payments and financial messaging. Thank you for coming on to the show. Now, Marcus, you're something of a veteran in the industry. When did you first come across SWIFT? Before entering the world of fintech and payments technology, I worked extensively in international banking. That's to say, sovereign debt, corporate lending, trade finance, and transaction banking. Therefore, I first had dealings with SWIFT way back in the 1990s. So it's fair to say that I've had, uh, I like to think, the good fortune of working with SWIFT people and their solutions for at least 25 years, maybe even 30 years. And during that period, of course, I've seen many changes. SWIFT have certainly faced challenges and indeed some criticism like uh, accusations of being outmoded and needing to up their game. But overall, I have to admit, and with some admiration, that time after time, Swift have proved extremely resilient. And consistently, just when you think they might be down and out, they bounce back strongly and have proved themselves to be equal to the challenges confronting them. So can you provide our listeners with any concrete examples of Swift's resilience? Yes, with pleasure. About four years ago, maybe a fraction more, when some of those cryptocurrency payment providers appeared on the scene and a number of commentators predicted that exciting new entrants like Ripple would eat Swift's lunch, these newcomers would capture a large share of Swift's core market for cross-border payments. But this revolution still hasn't materialized at any scale. This is probably due to a number of factors, including the volatility of cryptocurrencies, which probably makes them more attractive as speculative investments than as a payment method. Another obstacle to the adoption of cryptocurrency payments are those regulatory concerns, anti-money laundering breaches, and financial crime. But in fairness, I think we should also recognize that a major factor has been that when it found itself under threat, SWIFT came out quite quickly with a strong defensive play. This was the beginning of the now well-known GPI program. GPI stands for Global Payments Innovation, although the industry has almost universally adopted the acronym GPI. This, this initiative was launched only four years ago, but it's 
already enabling faster, more easily traceable, and more transparent cross-border payments. And on a large scale, GPI's traction and success has been highly impressive, to the point that for me, GPI is probably the single most important initiative by SWIFT in the last 15 years. The statistics speak for themselves. They're really impressive. GPI has been widely embraced by the banking industry, with over 4,000 institutions either live or committed to be live in the near future. Nearly 70% of SWIFT's cross-border payments are now sent via GPI, and a universal confirmations mandate was successfully introduced in November 2020. What's more, nearly 40% of GPI payments are credited to the beneficiary within five minutes or less, and well over 90% are credited within 24 hours. That's not bad at all compared to the two to four day settlement times of just a few years ago. This improved efficiency brings significant benefits to banks and businesses. That would be in terms of speed, reliability, and predictability. So at last, I hope we can see an end to some of those old complaints that swift cross-border payments are very slow and very opaque. It's worth also mentioning that analysis of GPI data shows that in those cases where payment delivery is still delayed, it's mainly due to factors outside the direct control of the SWIFT interbank payments model. For example, these delays can be caused by regulatory requirements like local foreign exchange controls, time zone differences, and the different business days and business hours of banks around the world. Thanks, Marcus. And what role does SWIFT play in real-time cross-border payments? For years, the big promise about cryptocurrencies has been instant cross-border payments. But for various reasons, such as their volatility and those regulatory concerns, cryptocurrencies haven't really been able to go mainstream as a real-time payment instrument. Now, on the other hand, SWIFT have their own real-time payment initiative known as GPI Instant. And that's been making some positive progress. Swift have been testing with Australia's new payment platform and Singapore's Fast, which are those two countries' real-time payment systems. And now a similar arrangement is available in the UK. I think Lloyd's was the first bank in this country to offer Swift GPI connected to our UK faster payment service. Under this model, cross-border payments from anywhere in the world destined for the UK and routed through Lloyd's can now arrive within seconds with and with clarity on fees and predictability on when the end beneficiary's account is going to be credited. So Swift GPI Instant Service has really has some significant potential to be a game changer in cross-border payments. But Swift certainly aren't resting on their laurels and they've got ambitious plans to make all cross-border payments more efficient with higher levels of straight-through processing and greater speed, of course. In this way, it's really Swift are playing a key role in the major industry migration to a new messaging format, which is known as ISO 20022. Thanks. And will this new format lead to more efficient payments then? Yes, certainly. There's an important change program going on in, in payment systems around the world. The message schema known as ISO 20022 is now globally accepted as the best way to standardize and modernize payments and other financial messaging. Global adoption of this standard, which important to note is network independent, will make interoperability between payment systems so much easier. To deliver this objective, there's an ambitious global migration over the next four years to adopt this format in the world's principal payment systems. That's including, of course, SWIFT's global financial messaging network. So the new format is going to have an important and highly positive impact on all types of payments. The most important thing to remember is that the switch to ISO 20022 will allow payments to carry a great deal more structured data, as well as standardizing payment formats that were previously very inconsistent and fragmented. And the key point is that this structured data is machine readable, so it doesn't require human intervention. A major reason why regulators are keen to see widespread adoption of this new format is that it will make it easier to automate compliance 
compliance with anti-money laundering requirements. This will help, of course, in the fight against fraud and financial crime. The ISO 20022 format has many structured fields which can be made mandatory to include important details, such as the name and address of the ultimate beneficiary, the originator, and of course, any intermediary banks. This means payments which use this format can include all the information necessary to comply with FATF requirements and the EU wire transfer regulations. Comprehensive structured data will greatly improve automation, and it's going to reduce the number of false positives when screening payments against sanctioned files. will reduce those frustrating delays that sometimes happen in cross-border settlements. Another major advantage is that the new format will significantly increase efficiency. This will result in lower processing costs and higher levels of straight-through processing. The increase in structured information carried in a message will make it easier to track payments in real time across multiple banks and different payment systems. So the new format will also reduce the risk of errors since users will be able to include additional payment details and references. Using richer data in a structured way will also make it much easier for parties who are receiving payments to achieve higher levels of automated reconciliation and cash allocation. This in turn will enable a much richer level of data analytics and insights about why payments are made and to whom. Yes, the ISO 202 transition is probably one of the hottest topics in trade and treasury and right now, perhaps the holy grail for standardization, which we love talking about. What about MT-FIN messages? Will they still be used during the ISO 202 migration period? Yes, of course. For the duration of the migration, MT-FIN and ISO 2022 messages will coexist for four years until November 2025. At that time, SWIFT support for MT100, 200, and 900 series messages types, that will cease. At present, there's no end date set for SWIFT securities messages, that's category 500, nor trade finance messages, which are the MT700 series. In fact, there's evidence that SWIFT's MTFIN trade finance messages are going to be with us for some time to come. In November this year, SWIFT is making some significant changes to the existing MT700 series messages, and it's actually adding some new message types. One of the most important changes is that MT700 and 701 messages will no longer be used to issue standby letters of credit. Instead, extended and more structured MT760 and 761 messages will be used to issue those standbys and guarantees. These new messages will make standby letters of credit and guarantee issuance and any amendments more highly structured, which of course is going to improve operational efficiency. Thanks. I think that's really important to some of our listeners, particularly around the more structured MT760 and 761 messages and that kind of operational change required. Can you provide any more examples and solutions that we're likely to see from SWIFT in the coming months? Certainly can. A few months ago, actually, SWIFT announced they'll move into low-value cross-border payments. These are sometimes known as remittances. This initiative uh, is called SWIFT Go, and it's actually targeted at consumers and small businesses. So SWIFT Go enables them to send near real-time payments anywhere in the world and direct from their bank accounts. What's more, there are half a dozen banks like BBVA, Bank of New York Mellon, SocGen, and Unicredit. They're all already live on the service. By using tighter service level agreements between banks, a growing number of banks, and pre-validation of payment data, SwiftGo enables these banks to provide their end customers with a fast and predictable payments experience. This includes upfront visibility 
of processing times and the costs involved. SwiftGo's processing fees have to be agreed between those financial institutions in advance, upfront, in order to provide customers with a full transparency on those costs. Traditionally, of course, SWIFT has been associated with high-value cross-border payments for banks and large corporates. So the plan to move into cross-border payments for small and medium-sized businesses and for consumers should actually help banks win back business, which some of them have been losing in recent years. This has been due to the increased competition from non-bank cross-border payment service providers, which have specialized in this low-value payment space, uh, like remittances, as I mentioned. Thanks, Marcus. And I guess turning to trade finance now, the pandemic's highlighted the many fragile points in global supply chains. The UK is currently experiencing an unprecedented HDG driver shortage, which is causing all sorts of issues from uh, supply chain issues in Nandos to huge fuel shortages. In your experience, what steps are being taken to digitize these supply chains and improve cash flow for suppliers? This is um, an important topic. COVID-19 has definitely generated a, a greater sense of urgency, far more immediate than ever before, regarding the need to digitize trade finance, and the sooner the better. During the pandemic, we've had worrying situations where the release of goods by customs and warehouse controllers has sometimes been delayed, and the provision of finance has been slow. Yes, it's crazy to think that sometimes this was simply because the required paper trade documents were received late or actually stuck in the office, sitting on someone's desk who was actually working from home. Uh, Fortunately, in many other more successful cases, quick fixes were implemented using conventional uh, but effective technology. So, for example, good old optical character recognition, which is used to scan and distribute documents electronically, has seen an uptick in usage. This simple but effective solution, the trade-related documents could be checked by banks' operational teams, even if they were working from home and without the need to go into the office. So we'll, we'll all agree that it would, of course, be far more efficient if these vital trade documents could be exchanged as structured data in a machine-readable manner. But in this way, the pandemic has been a major catalyst to drive the need to reduce paper friction in trade finance and to digitize the exchange of letter of credit documentation, such as paper invoices and transport documents you know, like, like bills of lading. So the solutions do exist, of course, and some of them are based on new blockchain technology, which is a very exciting initiative, but they haven't yet achieved the widespread adoption that's needed. I must shamelessly plug the white paper that we launched with the WTO earlier on this year, accelerating trade digitalization to improve MSME access to finance. We we go into a lot more detail on that piece there and and the various technologies being used to look at uh, digital solutions in many areas of trade and supply chains. Now, with technology comes partnerships, particularly in this continuously changing business environment. How have SWIFT's business partnerships and relationships evolved over the past few years? They've relied on their partners to connect a growing number of banks and corporates to the SWIFT network. Under one model, this can be the provision of professional services and local support for banks and financial institutions which are using on-premise SWIFT solutions. On the other hand, and increasingly popular, is the SWIFT Service Bureau model. This provides outsourced cloud-based applications and expertise to make it easier, faster, and and more cost-effective for any SWIFT users to connect to the SWIFT network and to operate securely and efficiently. This period of um, strong partnership saw SWIFT expand its financial messaging network globally and grow its membership to more than 11,000 entities. Up to a third of these banks and corporates were supported by SWIFT service bureaus. And just to give a sense of the SWIFT network's impressive global reach and scale, in total, their messages represent an average of $6 trillion US trillion of value 
each and every business day. But with the introduction of the Swift Alliance Lite product some 10 years ago, those Swift service bureaus, which only provided connectivity, found themselves probably in direct competition against their partner Swift. This resulted in an ambivalent relationship and a strange form of cooperation between these organizations. Swift's criteria for Swift Service Bureau have become increasingly stringent. As a result, a number of bureaus have simply not applied or failed to qualify for accreditation. At the same time, we've also seen an important period of market consolidation during which successful Swift service bureaus realized that in order to survive, they had to provide more than just Swift services and connectivity. The number of Swift service bureaus around the world was as high as 140 in 2011, but striking now that numbers have subsequently dropped by a third to just 94 or 95. It's also important to note that more than 15 of those remaining bureaus now actually belong to just five large payment software providers, including bottom line. So the nature of Swift service bureaus has been a major transformation in recent years. Many of those bureaus, which now belong to those large software payment providers, are actually offering a broader range of solutions. This helps them to differentiate themselves from Swift, and they've developed a stack of applications in the cloud that can meet bank and corporate customer needs way beyond pure connectivity to Swift. These value-add services include access to other payment systems and protocols, like domestic real-time payment systems, which tend not to use the Swift network. Another example is the connectivity to the new Visa B2B cross-border payments network, which is emerging as a competitor to SWIFT and provides banks and corporates with a worthwhile alternative to the SWIFT network. So these large SWIFT service bureaus also provide other forms of network connectivity, such as host-to-host and, of course, eBix, which is a widely used European protocol. Their cloud-based applications span areas like treasury management, payment hubs, as well as payment fraud prevention and AML sanction screening. And what's more, they're also using advanced technologies like machine learning, predictive analytics, and artificial intelligence. Thanks, Marcus. I do like the term co-opetition. What can you tell us about Swift's strategy going forward? How are they going to ensure they remain relevant in a world where domestic and cross-border payments are becoming faster and more efficient? This question is central to SWIFT's future plans. At the core of SWIFT's strategy moving forward is an ambitious plan to evolve from pure financial messaging to a more sophisticated end-to-end transaction management. This will see SWIFT moving away from simply exchanging messages between banks in series. Instead, they're planning to introduce processing capabilities on a central platform that will orchestrate those payments based on a central golden copy of all transaction data. Banks will therefore exchange this transaction data with the central platform instead of sending it to the next party in the payment chain for a cross-border payment. And this will make cross-border payments faster and more efficient. SWIFT's new platform will therefore be known as Transaction Management Platform. This major initiative was endorsed by the SWIFT board back in September 2020, and it's set to launch in November 2022. I'm sure we're going to hear more about it during the forthcoming Cybos. SWIFT's objective for this new platform is to deliver instant frictionless payments, and that's thanks to its new transaction management capabilities. The new platform is going to have a centralized data model using ISO 2022, of course. One of the key challenges with the current SWIFT messaging infrastructure is that their legacy MT-FIN messages have limited fields for payment information. Today, MT-FIN messages' restricted uh, space sometimes requires manual intervention and repairs. All this gives rise to challenges in identifying missing or incorrect information. And these fragmented processes can result in data truncation across various payment systems. This means data 
data gets left out of messages because they're not enough field space in legacy formats. So parties receiving those messages later in the chain receive a complete data set. But Swift's transaction management platform is going to solve these issues relating to data and limited space thanks to ISO 20022. As mentioned, another important innovation is that instead of payments information being passed sequentially, that is point to point between those participant banks, the new platform centralizes payment information on its cloud infrastructure and therefore gives all parties along the payment chain instant access to all the necessary information for payment processing and for settlements. Under this innovative approach, the golden copy of the payment message is stored on the SWIFT's platform for each bank to access when they need it. This resolves any problems with truncation. A key feature of the new platform is that it's backward compatible with those current MT-FIN messaging standards. Although the native format of the platform will be ISO 20022, users are going to be able to continue using the MT format for some years to come to send those messages to the platform until the message uh, migration deadline for cross-border payments are in November 2025. Meanwhile, more advanced banks can adopt ISO 20022 more quickly and they communicate with the platform using APIs. This means the golden copy approach will enable banks that are on different stages of their migration to ISO 20022 to interact with each other seamlessly. And this will reduce the need for uh, sorry, translation services. And banks will be able to absorb a richer data set for streamlining their message processing. This is a major innovation that's going to make the migration to ISO 20022 easier for cross-border payments, as well as integrating with domestic RTGS and ACH type systems. And APIs are already widely used in the industry. However, do you believe Swift's new transaction management platform will lead to even greater use of APIs? Exactly. Yes, indeed it will. APIs will play a key role in the new platform, making those interactions between banks more dynamic and real-time available 24-7. It's intended that the transaction management platform will use APIs to provide valuable functionality like pre-validation and real-time query resolution. The current MT store and forward messaging is unable to offer this dynamic real-time functionality. So APIs are designed for an immediate call and response based on a predefined set of protocols and operations. So they are better suited to providing this instant real-time 24-7 experience than say the current sequential MT FIN messaging flows. So Swift's um, APIs will, will enable bilateral and multilateral communication in real time. This will be a key element of the 24-7 payments experience. What's more, the API-based model will be significantly more efficient than the current model. That's because it uses predefined action-oriented API calls and responses. With the two key elements which I've mentioned before, that's the enriched ISO 20022 data model and the real-time API connectivity with participants, SWIFT will be so much better placed to coordinate payments more efficiently. This effectively means that they will be able to line up a series of banks in a payment chain and achieve a synchronized settlement process based on message pre-validation. Making full use of the new dynamic API interaction, they're going to be able to arrange a payment across multiple banks and then orchestrate instant or near-instant end-to-end settlements. All this change represents a radical transformation of SWIFT financial messaging today, and it will mean that payment issues are identified and addressed before releasing those payment instructions, and therefore providing greater confidence for the payer that funds are going to be credited to the recipient in real time. This really exciting new approach has tremendous potential for dramatically changing the world of cross-border payments. I think once this modern infrastructure is in place, SWIFT is looking at becoming a marketplace where banks and other participants can access services from SWIFT itself and from SWIFT 
with fintech partners. This is expected to include a whole range of services, but early examples are fraudulent payment prevention and AML compliance checks. Thanks, Marcus. And I think a very natural evolution towards that marketplace. What's next, do you think, for Swift at a very high level? Well, Swift have exciting ambitions, of course, and rightly so, including the creation of a central role for itself in that hot topic of central bank digital currencies. I certainly sense the market is reaching the next level in the evolution of blockchain and crypto assets, especially relating to digital currencies. Recent work by various central banks means it's increasingly likely that quite soon one or more major central banks will issue their own central bank digital currency. Although a few small economies like the Bahamas have already launched their own local central bank digital currency. We're now seeing central banks of several major economies announcing initiatives to test or even create their own digital currency. In the meantime, other central banks who want to make sure they are ready on the sidelines, or sidelines I should say, just in case adoption gains traction quickly and they need to be able to respond rapidly. I think ironically that the hype and controversy around Facebook's Libra stablecoin, which was rebranded as DM some months back, has actually made the launch of central bank digital currencies more more likely than ever. So for me, it's now more a question of when, not if, a central bank launches, a major central bank that is, launches a digital currency. A number of central banks are quite advanced in exploring the best way to approach digital currencies and which model to adopt. So for example, we've got the Central Bank of Sweden, which is quite advanced in developing a retail e-krona, which may be one of the early adopters. Likewise, we've got the Bank of England and the European Central Bank. They've got their own separate initiatives. But it's the People's Bank of China, above all, that's the most advanced. They've been holding large-scale pilots for some time now across various cities in China, such as that massive tech hub Shenzhen, just across the border from uh, Hong Kong. And use cases have uh, been tested, things like um, bill payments, transport, shopping, government services. And it's now looking increasingly likely that China will launch its own EU1 at the Beijing Winter Olympics starting uh, on February the 4th, 2022. So we can be quite surprised, quite precise about the dates there. So exciting times ahead, I think. And for me, after many years of experimentation and seeing huge sums of money invested in blockchain, I think central bank digital currencies are now emerging as one of the most exciting and practical applications of this new technology. And as you'd expect, SWIFT, of course, see a unique role for themselves as a multilateral interchange mechanism for cross-border central bank digital currencies in multiple currencies. They're also well-placed to provide interoperability between CBDCs and non-CBDC networks, linking real-time gross settlement systems with other um, CBDC networks. Swift are absolutely right, of course, in stating that sanction screening and FATF requirements are going to apply when exchanging CBDCs, just like with fiat currencies today. So Swift transaction management platform does look well-placed to help with this requirement. So exciting times for, for Swift in, in CBDCs, I think. Yes, exciting times indeed. And I couldn't agree with you more around the hype of blockchain and actually its potential use case in CBDCs. Now, we've covered a lot of ground, Marcus, and, and I'm afraid we've come to the end of this podcast episode. It seems as though Swift has done extremely well to grow and continue to thrive. And, and we've seen a, a very fast changing and highly competitive business environment. I'm sure you'll agree that they will have the expertise and, and innovation and, and the right people in, to succeed in, in the years ahead. I think partnerships are absolutely critical, but I guess issues around co-opetition versus competition and mutual gain are, are 
are really important to consider, particularly in regards to SWIFT's ambitious plans. I think the proposed marketplace will be quite exciting. So we look forward to some updates around the transaction management platform. But um, of course, it needs to be done in partnership, very difficult to do on their own. So Marcus, thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you virtually and speaking after Cybos. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.